1: Well, so much for full speed ahead in reopening the US economy. Multiple states, I know some of you have already heard this, but from Texas to Florida to California are now forced to retrench and impose or, or reimpose partial lockdowns as we watch the coronavirus you know, simply refuse to go back from whence it came. In fact, It's rearing its ugly and deadly head in Florida and North Carolina more viciously than it ever did in New York City. For those of you who watch The Claim and Countdown, my 3 p.m. Eastern show on Fox Business, you know that back in January, I remember the exact day, January 21st, as some were calling the virus a hoax, Countdown was the first business network show to call in global infectious disease experts because we took it seriously. What made me different from other journalists? My sister-in-law, Dr. Anne Ramoyne, is a world-renowned epidemiologist who for years has been giving a speech entitled, Global Pandemics and How to Stop Them. But can we stop this one? Dr. Anne Ramoyne, I know her as Annie, is taking time out from battling it all from the front lines to hopefully answer that question and more. Welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz, Annie. Thanks for coming on.
0: Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here.
1: So I know you have been crazed since early January, but what has the last 48 hours been like for somebody like you who is constantly on the phone with global experts, you as an expert they are turning to as well?
0: Well, you know, it's been um, m- more of the same um, that we've had over the last several months. You know, we are in a the grips of a pandemic, and and I think that that for for those of us who are uh, working on on trying to to stem the tide mm-hmm. and working on on studies related to COVID, you know, the the news of the last 48 hours of us moving to the point of starting to, to, to shut things down again is really just a sense of relief because we've all been watching this coming. I mean, this is not um, something that nobody predicted. In fact, we all predicted that we would be, if we were not careful, if we did not have Mandatory mask um, laws in place, if we did not have teeth to our recommendations, and if everybody didn't do their part, we would be right where we are. so there is nothing surprising about where we where we are right now.
1: My viewers noticed that uh, two weeks ago I suddenly disappeared from the air, and I thought that I would explain to them what had happened because it is directly. In indirectly involved in this. I had a family emergency out in LA. My mom got a little ill and she's okay now, but I had to rush to Los Angeles. Now, traveling was daunting, but I picked up the phone and I called you and I said, Can I come? Am I risking my life? And you said, You won't be if you do the following: Goggles, gloves, double mask, bring your own soap on the plane, bring your own hand sanitizer on the plane, bring your own food. Don't look at anybody. Don't talk to anybody. And I followed to a T. What is happening with travel? I, I'll tell you what happened, everybody, when I landed, but let's talk about travel. Can people travel?
0: Well, listen, there is no activity that you can do today that is without risk, um, and unless you're going to stay home. And, and for those people who don't have to go somewhere... They should stay home because we are in the midst of a massive escalation in most places in the country. Um, so you know, if you do have to fly, and 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 many of us do for for many many reasons, right. um, you know, just like you coming coming home to LA, um, you know that you have to be very careful about. Um, your surroundings and and you can't always control your surroundings on uh, when you're going into airports, when you're going onto an airplane. you know you are subject to the exposure of and, and everybody else's risk around you. Um, you know so it's exactly as I said, you know you should be wearing a mask, of course. you should be wearing uh, some sort of protective eyewear um, if possible, like goggles. Mm-hmm. You can't um, wear goggles wear a face shield. Uh, bring hand sanitizer, bring your own soap, uh, bring your own towels if you can bring everything that you can that can avoid that can help you avoid having any kind of contact with common touch surfaces you know if you're going to be on a cross-country flight or an international flight or a you know any any flight where you're there for more than an hour or so you're probably going to have to use the restroom and so you have to be very you have to kind of game it in your head how you're going to do this and that includes thinking through okay what am i how am i going to touch the doorknob how am i going to wash my hands? What can I avoid touching? That's um, a common touch surface.
1: Which is exactly what I did. I followed your advice to a T, but upon landing in, at LAX, I still didn't know. Did I dodge it? And you had ordered me to wait a couple of days and then get tested because it takes a while for the little dastardly microbes to move around and, and start showing their faces. Mm-hmm. So I maintained major social distance from my mom. I double-masked and three days in, I went to get a same day result test with the swab. And I will tell everybody, I'm a baby, okay, but I'm not the worst. I was not happy with this swab test. It was jammed all the way up my nose. I, I mean, I was, I was, but just as I thought I can't take it anymore, it was over. And happily, I turned out negative. And that's when I could at least get a little bit closer to my mom. However, during that time, Annie, as you know, Governor Cuomo of New York State put California back on the list of gotta quarantine if you've been there and you're coming back to New York. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So I got back and I had to take another test. I mean, this was two tests within four and a half days. I was negative, thankfully. I got it at NYU Langone, thanks to Dr. Mark Siegel, who of course is the Fox doctor. But I can tell you, I felt better, but it's almost like a day later, I could be positive if I happened to step in the wrong place, correct?
0: That is absolutely right. You know, the the problem with, with testing is it tells you about your exposure for the past um, you know, the past two weeks, it doesn't tell you about your, your current status you know, of today. And the, the probability of testing negative um, for the first week um, after being exposed is, is actually, um, testing negative if you actually are positive for the virus is, is, is very high. So for example, the first day that you're exposed, if you get a test, you're 100% likely to test negative. Even though you were infected, and every day um, it, those odds go down a little bit. So the probability after one day is about eighty-eight percent, and then it goes down to about sixty-seven percent, and 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 somewhere around um, day six, you're, you start um, it starts to become more likely that you would test positive rather than negative uh. if you are infected. But it's really only between days. Um, Around day seven, that you have a, only a 20% chance of testing negative if you are positive. And so there's no test that's perfect right now. I mean, the mm-hmm. testing right now is such a difficult situation. Everybody is doing the very best that they can, but the, but the tests are not perfect. They're just not.
1: So I want our viewers and listeners to understand about you. You're an internationally recognized expert on Ebola. You have spent the last how many years? Twenty years going to and from mm-hmm. the Congo, the
0: Republic of the Congo. Yeah. How many
1: times have you been back and forth?
0: Oh my gosh, it would be impossible to. I mean, I I go back and forth four to five times a year, and I've done so for the past twenty years. Okay. Um, to to DRC, but I, you know, I worked all over Africa prior to that, and was a Peace Corps volunteer in West Africa, and so I spent my whole career working in, in Sub-Saharan Africa.
1: I remember when my brother met you because your parents lived across the street. Your stepmom and your father lived across the street from my parents. My dad died. My dad was a brilliant Canadian-born surgeon. Your dad, Dr. David Ramoyne, was a brilliant Canadian-born geneticist, rather, who discovered type 2 diabetes, correct? And was an expert in dwarfism, just a genius in genetics, and he died. So my mom hosted your stepmother and you came along and my brother happened to come along and he met and he called me up and he said, Liz, she is a tenured professor at UCLA, a epidemiologist, PhD. She's amazing. And she knows all about Ebola. And I'm thinking, great. That's really, really exciting. But it was because we looked at you and thought, oh, my God, you are so gutsy. You are known as the virus hunter. What possessed you to say, I want to go to the Congo and I want to hunt down this virus, Ebola, that liquefies your insides and kills you instantly, basically? I mean, what, what, how did Annie become Dr. Anne ramoyne
0: Well, I mean, it it, it was not evident um, for me, you know, I, I grew up, I mean, I didn't grow up in that house across the street. I grew up in Palos and, uh, you know, I, I was, I, I actually was, was far from being a scientist. I was a cheerleader in high school. I was, a, um, you know, I, I, I went to, to Middlebury college. My undergrad degree was actually African history and my minor was music. I was a musician. I, I literally, my dad being this really world famous medical geneticist, I was, was terrified of science, and so he always used to say, "You know, you know, Annie avoided science like the plague." And then she became a scientist that studies plagues, and so that that's actually really true. Um, but I, I, um, it was because I, I ended up going into the Peace Corps, and it was um, when I graduated from from college, I, I applied to the Peace Corps. I'm not really sure what I was going to do, thinking that I was probably going to go to law school or, or do something I was you know, interested in music, entertainment industry, you know, things that had nothing to do with science. And because I was fluent in French, I got put in this perfect public health program, the Guinea worm eradication program. And uh, they literally put me in Benin, West Africa, seconded me to UNICEF, and gave me a, you know, gave me a motorcycle and taught me to do disease surveillance. In um, in West Africa, and with this perfect public health program, the Guinea worm eradication program, which is a waterborne disease that um, is on the verge of eradication, and so I just was was put in this perfect program, and I just realized how important public health was, and how achievable public health was, and that you know it was just something that that was that that you could have great impact. And so I, I you know when I got my master's in public health at UCLA, and then I worked for Variety of different um, organizations, including World Health Organization, for a few years doing polio eradication, and then I went and got my PhD at Johns Hopkins, and so it was just this this path, you know, moving closer and closer to to working in infectious diseases, and I became fascinated with emerging disease. And my undergraduate degree being African history, and my thesis was on the the um, the Congo Crisis and what was known as Zaire. And so when I got a job at NIH, when I when I finished my my PhD they, they offered me a job and said listen you know there's going to be this pro- project in the Democratic Republic of the Congo this was in 2002 and they thought I would run out the door screaming saying the Congo but it had been the country that i had been always interested in my dissertation had been on the Congo and so I said sure I'm in let's do it and so I went to Congo and I I just I just it was a really fantastic country that needed so much help and I just felt like it was something I could do and so I kind of jumped in and did it and met people there who were just inspirational and incredible and, um, and I saw the need, first starting with monkeypox, being a, a very understudied illness that um, nobody really understood, it's related to smallpox, and we started uh, learning that there were a lot more cases than, than anticipated, and then, you know, started looking at all these other zoonotic diseases, and then we started seeing more and more cases of Ebola. So I got roped into to, to applying what we already knew about Congo and disease surveillance to Ebola, and, and that's where I, I really started working on, e, on Ebola.
1: Ebola is terrifying to me. I read all the books on it because I was always interested in this stuff from a distance, you know, please. Uh, and. As I studied it, it just seemed like you couldn't fight it. And yet you have. You and your team in the Congo have figured out how to shut it down fast when it pops up. Why is it so hard to shut down the coronavirus in the most developed country in the world, America?
0: Uh, so, you know, it's a really good question, but it's a very different type of virus. So Ebola is a virus that is spread from, from bodily fluids um, and you need to be in much more direct contact with those fluids, it's not respiratory. So the problem with coronavirus as it is a respiratory virus that is spread from respiratory droplets, and as we've we've learned you know very recently it also has a potential to be able to be aerosolized and hang out in the air for a period of time which makes it extremely difficult to control um, diseases that that require more direct contact are much easier to control than uh, than something like um, a coronavirus. Coronavirus just has a, um, you know, it's the, the, the problem is, is that so many people are asymptomatic. Mm. Uh, so many people are also pre-symptomatic. So, you know, they, they are very, very infectious a few days before they start to show symptoms. And so it's very difficult to be able to control a disease where half the people don't even know they have it and never know they have it so they can't do anything about it. Or just a few days before they are symptomatic, and so they still don't know they have it, they're out and spreading it to other people. It makes it extremely complicated. Ebola, most cases are, um, are acute. And, and if you are, we, we don't think that, that people who may have some sort of mild or asymptomatic infection are very infectious. So, so that's a very big difference. And that's what makes just coronavirus so insidious and so difficult to be able to fight.
1: You're listening to Everyone Talks to Liz with epidemiologist Dr. Anne Ramoyne. We will be right back. I know a lot of you have had this experience because for those of us who in 2020 were all sent home and we were stuck in a lockdown during the pandemic, we had a lot of time on our hands. And I saw an ad for Masterclass and I thought, I want to better myself. I want access to all of these brilliant people who teach you things. With MasterClass you can learn from the best to become your best. MasterClass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with more than 200 plus of the world's best and smartest. For just under 10 bucks a month, an annual membership with MasterClass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And I don't care, you can wake up one morning and say I want to learn about business and then another where you say I want to learn how to survive in the wild if I have no water and no food fire to make me warm. You can access Masterclass on your phone, on your computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. And the classes totally make a difference. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Liz. Masterclass.com slash Liz. You've been giving the speech called Global Pandemics, How to Stop a Pandemic Before It Starts. Is that the right title? I remember you being, giving the speech Preventing years pandemics ago. pandemics
0: before they start. Yeah. That's right. the easiest way to do it is prevent them before they start as we are learning the hard way right now.
1: And suddenly it happens and nobody was listening. I mean, except maybe Bill Gates and, and your, your colleagues around the world. But this this has been a disaster. It truly has, but we're not the only country. It has, I mean, I can remember, so in January on the 20th, I think, or the 21st, IMAX, this is what got me onto it. IMAX announced it was going to hold off on rolling out its um, Chinese New Year slate of films in China because they had shut down the theaters. And I said, oh, Well, let's look at gold because gold is a great global indicator. I'm always a thinking business. Global indicators, gold and treasuries show a flight to quality and gold was moving. It was moving up. And I thought, oh, we ought to do this story. So I told my team to reach out to, oh, my sister, Dr. Anne Ramoyne, and if she's not available... Lori Garrett, who wrote The Coming Plague. She's a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist. Brilliant. You know her. She's a friend of yours. I introduced you guys. I made yep, a little sure little did. Yenta thing with you two. You sure
0: did.
1: And Lori couldn't do it that day. And then my team said, Annie can, but do you want to wait till tomorrow? Because I, had, I was off for some reason. And I said, you know, I would because I want to be the one to interview her. But to me, there was like this spidey sense. I said, we got to get her on the air today. It felt like minutes mattered. And so my fill-in, Ashley Webster, interviewed you back then, and there was so little known about it. The cruise ship thing hadn't happened. You know, it hadn't arrived in America yet, as far as we knew. And you came on, and you you had to be honest. You said, there's a lot we don't know, but we got to watch this thing carefully. And then it it kind of spun out of control, didn't it?
0: It, it sure did. You know, I don't think that any of us anticipated that we would be where we are right now. Um, You know, there, there, there are so many, you know, it's, it's, it's always easy to look back and say, well, I wish we had done this and I wish we had done that, but, but nobody anticipated the the total and complete lack of leadership and failure of our, our public health system because of years of underfunding and lack of resource and lack of, of foresight, um, you know, and, and, and the fact that, that, you know, we just don't have good leadership to be able to pull us out of this. I mean, that's what you you, you see in countries that have really been able to, to be able to do what they need to
1: do. Um, How do we get to this point where it is now this weird political divide you have Los Angeles and San Diego saying we can't open our schools in the fall. We don't know enough about how children get it or how it's transmitted. And then orange County, which leans right leans conservative says in the last 48 hours or so you tell me what orange County said, this is stunning to me.
0: Um, yeah, no. I mean, Orange County Board of Education voted for kids to return to classes in fall without requiring social distancing or masks. I mean, it's 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 shocking. I mean, and this this is a perfect example. You know, we're not even talking about well. You know, we have different states, and if one state is doing poor is doing poorly or or not following um, you know best practices, then another state is is impacted. I mean, we have the county next door to us in direct opposition to what um what los angeles county is is planning on doing and san diego county is doing and and you know with it with a virus that is so contagious and spreads so easily you know anything that happens right next to you impacts you
1: well but again and I'm not a political person, but I am completely perplexed by how this has somehow come down on red and blue lines. I've interviewed Governor Pete Ricketts of Nebraska multiple times. He is a super smart guy. He's amazing. I love him. He's, he's Republican. And suddenly he announces in June he tells local officials they cannot require face masks if they want federal coronavirus relief funding. What? Are, are you kidding me? Nebraska, which has this massive outbreak in some of their food processing plants? It's almost like for so long, President Trump, who just now donned a mask recently, um, had questioned it as some sort of political diss to him. And and Republicans fell in line, Governor DeSantis, people didn't want to do it. And now the Texas governor, Republican, tried and true, Governor Greg Abbott, sees what's happening in Texas and he's requiring masks now. And you're you're gonna take on Governor Abbott. He is a smart as a whip guy. And he looked at this and said, knock it off. We got to wear masks.
0: Well, I I, mean, I I couldn't agree with you more. You know, there's a, um, there's a great lead line in a, um, in an op ed by John Barry, who wrote the great influenza. Mm. Um, and he said, when you mix science and politics, you get politics. And with coronavirus, the United States has proved that politics hasn't worked. Um, and, and I, I think that that's just a, a perfect way of saying it. I mean, I've been saying over and over again, you know, when you have mixed messages, politics fills the void. And that's exactly what's been going on here. I mean, the fact that masks are political is just insanity. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's just a very basic public health measure. It's like saying washing your hands is political. I mean, it's just it doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous.
1: Oliver Stone, the famed director, some love him, some hate him. Um, He's rewritten a lot of history in some of his movies, which is fine. You know, it's Hollywood. He has just come out in a New York Times interview and thrown shade at people like you, quite frankly, Um, when it comes to trying to stem the virus and specifically about Hollywood He said, and I quote, everything has become too fragile, too sensitive. Hollywood now, you can't make a film without a COVID advisor. Well, how are you going to do a kissing scene, Oliver, without an epidemiologist at least advising how to do it safely, right?
0: It sounds like Oliver Stone has gotten a little bit too sensitive about (laughs) what needs to be done. (laughs) And, and I promise Oliver Stone, I won't try and make a movie if he tries not to be an epidemiologist. So I,
1: I mean, what is with all these armchair epidemiologists?
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I, just think it's, it's, it, I think that, that people need to let the science speak and it means the, the full science. Um, and, and, you know, we know that it is very difficult to be able to contain a virus that is airborne. The fastest road to recovery is to just beat the heck out of the coronavirus. That is literally the only way out. And so, for everybody who is upset about wearing a mask or upset about having to, um, you know, stay home and not go to the gym or go, you know, someplace. Um, where you know we all want to go out, I want to go to a restaurant, I want to go on vacation. I want to do all of these things, but it is not prudent, and the only way for us to get out of where we are now is to just crush the epidemic curve because if we could do that, we could start getting back to normal. Sure, everybody might have to wear a mask, but you know schools could open, restaurants could open. You know, Disneyland could open, mm-hmm. <laughs> just, but right now we are seeing escalating numbers of cases of of COVID, and it is not has no sign of slowing right now.
1: Any um, sign? Any sign of a vaccine?
0: Well, today there was an interesting announcement from Moderna that 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 they that everybody in their trials showed some. Um, at least some sort of immune response, which is encouraging. Hmm. You know, we still don't really know um, what it means and uh, how, you know, how this will play out on a large scale. But, you know, that's that's good news. That's definitely encouraging. Um, but, but I just want to be really clear here. There is no magic bullet. And even if we end up with a vaccine that's going to, to be helpful, um, to us, it will take time to be able to get it out to people. And, and, and just having good news about, you know, a vaccine is not going to be a game changer. When we start seeing vaccine that is widely available to people, um, and distributed over, you know, uh, large swaths of the population, then we're going to be able to start having a little bit of normalcy. But until then, Our best bets are wearing a mask, social distancing, hand hygiene, you know, all the really, you know, old school stuff that we talk about, (laughs) all the things that worked in the 1918 flu um, pandemic. Yes. That is where we are right now.
1: I have to ask about you again, because I have seen video, I've seen pictures of you schlepping through the jungle in the Congo, no roads, and you're vaccinating little kids, and you're taking blood from survivors of the most frighteningly named things like chicken goonia and yes, uh, guinea worm. Oi! Don't even. Um, have you? What diseases have you caught in your travels and in your work? What have you? What have you recovered from?
0: You know, I've been I've been very lucky to date. I um I actually um, have had what we thought was malaria once. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was because I was out in the field doing a a study, um, and got stuck there for several weeks where I didn't have enough malaria meds. So it made perfect sense, um, that, that I would have gotten malaria. Mm -hmm. Um, but aside from that, you know, just a little bit of, you know, standard GI trouble like anybody else. And (laughs) I have not gotten sick. I just haven't. Were you ever
1: worried about getting Ebola? Of
0: course, everybody is always worried. But, you know, you do the things that work. And the things that work are um, following public health guidelines and making sure you, you, um, you know, you follow them religiously it's when you you get tired and you get sloppy that that sometimes you can you, know, you can run into problems but mm-hmm. but the fact of the matter is is that we know a lot about how to combat disease trans you know disease and to, to really slow down disease transmission we've done it with ebola we've done it with you know many diseases or many diseases where we do have vaccines and so that makes it much easier but but you know um i i'm i'm really good at making sure i I do the things that we're supposed to do. Um, and, uh, you know, try mm. to, as, as, um, as, as, uh, I think, I think your dad might've might've said, you know, it's much easier to stay out of trouble than to, <laughs> to than to get out of trouble.
1: Boy, isn't that the truth? <laughs> Let's stay out of trouble. And I, I want to finish with this cause I know that, you know, so many, um, Doctors and nurses and frontline hospital workers. Have you known anybody who died from COVID yet?
0: You know, I've been lucky enough to date not to be very close to anybody who is who's died um, from COVID. But mm-hmm. you know, I am running the study here at, at UCLA on um, asymptomatic infection and immunity in healthcare workers and first responders uh, for COVID, and you know we started this study really early on at the very beginning actually just based on the fact that that i had been doing surveillance in healthcare workers in congo and around the world for so long i mean they're such an important group to to protect and to, to monitor for, for disease. And so I, along with my colleagues at UCLA, we, we were able to, to get this project started. Mm. Um, and and in the early days, you know, we, we really didn't see a lot of cases because PPE works, wearing masks work. Um, hand hygiene works in, in California shut down quickly, and we really did not see a lot of cases. But over time, um, you know as society has opened up, of course now we're starting to see see cases in these populations, and so that's why it's it's really important to be thinking about these studies and doing them um, you know you, you gotta um, you know it's Wayne gretzky you got to go where you think the puck's gonna go, not where where it is now
1: right from high school cheerleader to virus hunter, I am so. Lucky to have you be a member of my family, and the world is lucky to have you hunting and fighting these viruses. And we can't thank all of our hospital caregivers and our experts like you enough. Annie, thank you so much.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: My sister-in-law, Dr. Anne Ramoyne, epidemiologist, UCLA, helping the world. Um, please listen to this advice. Forget about. The colors red and blue political who you support for president live your life and just as the famous dr mo clayman once said it's easier to stay out of trouble than to get out of trouble so mask it people or the redhead's gonna get upset um thank you so much once again for listening to everyone talks to liz i'll see you monday through friday 3 p.m eastern on the clayman countdown fox business i appreciate you listening guys